0: Welcome to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. I'm your host, Bill Cates, creator of the Cates Academy for Relationship Marketing. In each episode, I interview one of our industry's top performers, getting them to pass on their secrets to success to you, so that you can impact more lives and generate more income. Now, on to the show. Welcome, welcome. Before we get going, I want to let you know about some free resources that I invite you to retrieve after you've listened to today's interview. You'll find checklists, guides, videos, and other tools. Simply go to referralcoach.com forward slash resources. Now write this down unless you're driving. That's referralcoach.com forward slash resources. And it's also in the show notes. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our weekly tips. We're always sharing best practices and we'll notify you of our newest podcast interviews as they go live. And while these are free to you, I think you'll find them quite valuable. Now on with today's show. Today's show is about rapid growth. Our featured guest, Emmanuel Jones II, went from zero to chairman's council in his company in three years. And that doesn't happen very often in this business. So let me brag on our guest just a little, then we'll get him talking about some of the things he's been up to to create rapid growth. Emmanuel Jones is the founder of Jones and Company Wealth Strategies, a multi- multicultural wealth strategies company based in the Greater Atlanta area. Emmanuel is a champion for financial empowerment and literacy for his clients, which is uh, right after my own heart. I love that. Emmanuel received his undergraduate degree in public health from the Johns Hopkins University and received his MBA from Emory University's Goizueta School of Business. Manuel is a fiduciary and holds his FINRA Series 6, 7, 63, and 65 licenses. His specialty is working with small businesses, first generation high earners, entrepreneurs, and corporate employees. Manuel enjoys supporting local entrepreneurs and small businesses as they open stores and restaurants in surrounding areas. And as a self proclaimed amateur foodie, Emmanuel will be the first to suggest meetings over a good meal versus the office whenever possible. Manuel Jones, the second, welcome to Top Advisor Podcast.
1: Thank you, Bill. Thank you.
0: It's it's great to have you. Uh, lots of things to talk about. Yep. I applaud your rapid success in this business. Not always easy. Now, I know the concept of success is not new to you in that your father is a very successful business person, still is, I believe. Uh, tell us a little bit about him, his success, sure. and mostly how that shaped your perspective towards business in general, how it gave you that view of what's possible for you.
1: Absolutely, and I think you hit the nail on the head with that last statement, just seeing what's possible. Um, my father, my father, back in the 1990s, he started uh, Legacy Ford, an automotive group, and he grew that into one of the largest African-American owned companies in Georgia. Um, Mm -hmm. employing well over 250 employees throughout different cities in Georgia and several different franchise dealerships. And then from there, that's when he also transitioned into commercial real estate, using dealerships to purchase real estate and land around and putting tenants in there, such as um, Sherman Williams or Enterprise and some of those small box um, uh, office spaces and things like Mm -hmm. that. So mm-hmm. when I graduated um, from undergrad, I first went to Johns Hopkins because I wanted to be a doctor, um, was going to pre-med routes. I also was a big fan of the TV show House. So he went to Hopkins. I was like, let me check out this school. So <laughs> I checked out the school and I was like, okay, great. Want to be a doctor? Let me go intern with doctors. But I didn't realize that walking into hospitals just kind of gave me a big feeling inside. Like, I don't like being here. I don't like seeing people in pain. I don't like particularly <laughs> hanging around doctors. <laughs> people I die in to. hospitals. To Emmanuel. <laughs> yeah. So That's funny. after all of that, all that oh. sensory um, type of energy, I was like, okay, maybe pre-med is not the route for me. And another thing, I was also in the ROTC when I was an undergrad as well, too. So I mm-hmm. um, had, to, had to change my mind about a lot of different things. Still ended up graduating with public health. that just took kind of the business approach of hospitals and things like that. And, uh, and I also had a minor in business, um, entrepreneurship and management, actually, too. But they don't allow you to put minors on a diploma. So just say public health. But from there, I um, wanted to work under someone who I knew was successful and really just kind of wanted to understand our family dynamic. I mean, I started doing the math and calculating what they were offering for salaries for someone graduating with public health and then how much it costs just a fraction of like, you know, how I was raised and things like that. I was like, we need to figure something out here. So I actually had to apply to work for my dad. I had to put in a cover letter and a resume. I had to edit it by my mother. And it took him still about three or four days to get back to me before he (laughs) allowed me to work for him. No no favors for his son, huh? And named after him, I may add. actually quite the opposite. <laughs> he promised me one thing when I started working for him and he said, "You, I am going to be the hardest boss you're ever going to have. <laughs> so he knew he was going to put me through the fire, but he, in his mind's eye, was uh, preparing for the world afterwards and just everything that I wanted to achieve in my life. So that hard-nosed type of mentorship, and then also having the exposure to seeing the different on the ongoings throughout the family business and how he managed things and how- where he had his pitfalls, where he needed help or where he probably should have did this or did that, you know, it was seeing both sides of the business. And that really just kind of sharpened my business acumen from seeing an inside entrepreneurial site. And then also I had my own endeavors um, throughout that time as well. Um, I started two Allstate franchises when I was 24 and 25 and grew those as uh, they became, I think, the fastest growing Allstate's uh, agencies in the Southeast. I had a partner with my dad, so he allowed me to put them in the dealership. So we just were writing business right after people were getting buying cars and things of that nature. So that was a great concept that Allstate came up with that uh, we were able to take advantage of. And then that lasted for about five years. During that stint, I also pursued my MBA at Guazetta Emory School of Business. And that was just a very, very busy time for me because I did had time to do anything else but study it go to school or run these all-state agencies so that right. kind of just allowed me that first fresh you know starting something brand new but I still had a little bit of support from you know being into the family business there but um, I know it's kind of a long-winded answer and things like that but it's just part of my story that led me up to uh, eventually leaving the family business and taking that knowledge and education and pursuing my, my career as a financial advisor and fiduciary yeah. Here's
0: a question you probably didn't expect, but I'm, you know, we talked about having a model, a vision uh, uh, mm-hmm. of what's possible by your dad being mm-hmm. successful. And I, I was thinking back around your, your uh, passion or energy that you put around financial empowerment and financial literacy for clients. Uh, I would think that a vision of what's possible for people mm-hmm. is just, is a, is a huge thing. Is it not? Um Absolutely. that had you not been exposed to that, who knows?
1: Yeah. You know, yeah I mean you, yeah. Um, I, I would say part of part of my exposure did come from seeing that in my, mm-hmm. in my family, but the mm-hmm. biggest thing I saw was the lack of financial literacy, actually. Um, there was still a lot of things that even though you are a successful entrepreneur, even though you are making money and you are running your company well, you become very specialized, much like an attorney, much like a doctor. You would think they just have innate financial skills because they have a lot of money, but that skills comes with practice and it comes with actually learning it on your own or working with someone who is an advisor that can advise you very well athletes are a prime example of like the extreme situation of a lot of wealth and a lot of ignorance that goes along with it so that's happens in all communities those not just athletes not just entertainers you have doctors who are very lost when it comes down to what to do with their money you have lawyers who are and you have entrepreneurs that are have a million dollars sitting in a savings account and it's like well you know i know how to run my business and i know how to buy another business and run that business but when it comes down to investing in my money and things like that i i kind of skittish so interesting. It exposure it did show me success. It showed me what success. It taught me the hard work it takes to be successful in my efforts and where my time and energy should go. But right. I also saw that even though you do do that, you still have to know what to do with your money after the fact. And like so many people who make a lot less, have a lot more because they knew those skills at a certain period of time in their life and much earlier.
0: Amen to that. I I I did not acquire those skills early in life, and I had to play a little catch up. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. Uh, I caught up pretty well, but I can only imagine (laughs) how much further I would have been had uh, exactly uh, exactly had had been taught around those things around just simple compounding, right? And dollar compounding interest.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Every, every time I'm talking to a client, even in their upper thirties, they're like, man, I wish I did this 10 years ago. Like I that know. is the one of the most common, man, the $200 does what over the course of 20 years? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, ah, exactly. Done
0: but yeah. So you also, I remember you tell me you uh, got a little bit into real estate with a partner mm-hmm. uh, fixing, flipping houses. Yep. Uh, I know you can make pretty good money in that, uh, mm-hmm. but you made a shift. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned something about it. Just You were making money, but you weren't helping people in a way. So tell me a little bit, the transition from that real estate into now becoming an advisor.
1: Sure, sure. So what I what I did right after I left, I left the family business in 2020, and I say leave the family business. It sounds very dramatic, but um, you know, we, we still talk, and like we still, if he needs any help, like I'm there and things like that. But um, I I I I came off, you know, the traditional payroll, the family business, and things like that in 2020, and that's also the peak of the pandemic as well, too. And you know, being down here in Atlanta, um, Atlanta, we were having riots and things like that all around the city. You know, people just throwing things into windows and stuff like that. So a war zone type feel, you know, during that time. But when I left the family business, I had a real estate company with a partner of mine that we were doing some flips. Um, we were learning the wholesale business game, got pretty decent at that, built a system where we were getting leads and like we were able to put um, houses on the contract, wholesale them and things like that. And making pretty decent money off those type of transactions to the point that we decided to just go ahead and flip them on our own. And then we were working on a couple of flips um, towards the beginning of 2022, and oh, I'm sorry, 2020. And you know, we they they completed, and you know, the money was made, and it was good to have a nice little cushion and things like that. But it didn't give me a thrill. Like I, I did something. It's like all I did was make money. And like that's when I really realized my relationship with money was not. I need more money. I need the money to do the things I want to do. But uh, the one things I want to do needs to be around helping people. I, that's the only way I feel, um, like I guess fulfilled. Really, mm-hmm. um, I I would give up half of you know the money if I accumulate a hundred thousand dollars. I give away half of it if it you knows it's going to benefit people in the long run, or benefit my staff, or benefit the growth of my team and things that I, I have no problem doing. That I don't want to hoard money. So that's what real estate felt like i was like i I was helping me we were helping the seller and helping me again (laughs) and it's just like and helping the contractor by paying him you know paying him but it's just like i'm not leaving like you are knowledgeable about something and like i'm changing the trajectory of your life and things like that maybe it did for some people we bought the house from but not probably not really so that's good good awareness
0: to have right especially when you're young and you have a chance to shift yeah Uh, yeah not some people don't get that awareness till they're you know halfway or more through their life, So yeah, yeah,
1: it was a, it was a blessing. I think it was accelerated because of it being a pandemic, like yeah. had it not been that it was business as usual, like, you know, we have enough mm. distractions, but when you have nothing to do, but sit at home and just think, <laughs> and like, you look out, your, you look out your window <laughs> and you're, you're seeing, you're seeing, you know, boarded up, <sighs> um, you know, restaurants and boarded mm-hmm. up and like, just mm-hmm. like you feels heavy and being an African-American man, like that felt even heavier just of all the things that we were dealing with. I was like, I, "I, my talents need to help people. I don't care. I'm going to figure this out some way or somehow. Right. And it took probably about six months of kind of sitting and thinking about it where I found that um, New York Life was going to be the company that was going to give me the conduit and the ability in order to kind of start my own thing. So that's when I started down that path. Gotcha. So at, let's let's
0: shift now. And now you're a financial professional. Um, mm-hmm. I remember as we're preparing for this interview, you told me that, um, when you got started in business, I think you said you, you wanted to get good at acquiring clients you didn't know, meaning yep. folks you didn't know prior to getting in this business. Right. But, I mean, isn't working your natural market how most people get started? You must have known some folks prior to this business or your dad to your mm-hmm. other business mm-hmm. experiences. So tell us about your client acquisition strategies, you know, maybe let's say your first year and then how you shifted uh maybe away from your natural market? I'm not sure if I'm describing that well. Just what
1: happened for you? So pursuing your natural market is going to be a very normal thing you do. And the way that I went about it is I just kept telling people what I did. The way I went after my natural market wasn't like, hey, John, I know we've known each other for 20 years and you saw me grow up. Would you like some life insurance or would you like to, you know, for me to go over your finances or things like that? Because more than likely, the answer is going to be like, we're good, even though you're probably not. We're we're good. And that's what a lot of the pushback. And I learned that pretty quickly. And I found a different approach instead of asking my natural market, hey, uh, let me work on your stuff. I would say, do you know anybody or can you just share the news of what I do? And if you know anybody that you run across that may be interested in what I do, send them my way, send them my way. And I will wait for that response where it's like, well, I probably need your help. Boom. Got it. Like it was a kind of a roundabout way. I wanted my natural market to come to me and I wanted no pressure to um on transacting or working with me and stuff like that. Because the first couple of times I tried it, it took one of my good friends who stopped answering my calls for like two months. I'm like, we used to talk every day. He's like, <laughs> no. He's like you don't want to answer the call because you think I'm selling him some insurance or whatnot. I was like, man, I like honestly, deep down, I don't care if you buy it right now or not. And I could say that a lot of the benefit was because I transitioned out of real estate and transitioned into my um, role. So I didn't feel the pressure to like, I got to sell something and stuff like that. I felt a little more comfortable and just had an ear to like how I could. Now I still was able to, you know, do a, some decent amount of transactions and a lot of my natural market, they did gravitate and did give me that first opportunity and stuff. But I knew in my mind, my uh, mind of minds that that was not going to sustain a business. And I planned businesses five to 10 years. And I'm like, this is going to last. Maybe I was like, if it lasts a year, this is going to be awesome. But like, I'm not banking on it. I need to find ways to acquire and attract other people that don't know me. So from there, that's when I took pretty much every, almost every dime I made through my first year as a financial professional, I spent in either marketing or just giving people great experiences. Like, like when I said in my bio, like I, I prefer to go out to dinners. So like I would spend two, $300 on dinners to have dinners with couples. And, you know, we don't, nothing comes out of it, but that experience would be like, sometimes, yeah, we have such a great experience that I have a friend that um would love to talk to you. um And when I talk to the friend before I know it, like by the time we're all said and done in two months, we got over $10,000 of commission coming from the friend of the friend. So I just realized people enjoy being listened to good experiences and like, they like to be courted. And a lot of my natural demographics, um, you know, being African-American minority, they don't get approached like that or they never have been approached like that or even heard of somebody like them being approached like that by a financial advisor. They're like, I don't have half a million dollars of cash. Like, why are you why are you treating me so well? I thought you people, they, I didn't care unless it was over a certain amount, which some advisors are structured like that. Luckily, I didn't have to. Be to sustain, so I was able to take that same energy, and I feel like everyone deserves that if they're willing to have the conversation about financial literacy, and someone's willing to sit down in front of them and give them that conversation. Then please be respectful and give them the best because you never know. One of my smallest clients, I got one of my biggest clients from like Mm. in the course of six months like that, and that's because I just treated them. They like I love how you were so professional, treated me well, you followed up, you sent me the things, and even though we just did this little bit with you, I have a friend of mine who just started her own practice and. Yeah, I told her about you, and she's ready to go. Like, it's just things like that. You never know.
0: The quality. Ex- so you're are your prospecting, if you will, your marketing slash prospecting, really was the client experience. The 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 a nice meal, the educational aspect, yeah. uh, and that led you to the referrals, introductions to other people. Um, yeah.
1: and then sometimes those clients that they didn't become a client come back a year later or mm. a few months later. If they might get that promotion they're looking for, life starts taking a turn where things are going better, or they get bad news. They feel like they need to structure things up. Like a lot of it comes back around. So I found that in the three years I've been doing this, that that is a hundred percent the case. So I just give my best foot forward when it comes down to my clientele, and then I just keep reminding people what I do on every platform you see me on. My even my the names on social media are just very. Very clear, this is what I do. So right. stay in front of people. It's your billboard that people are coming past. I had a client reach out to me on LinkedIn saying I've been following you for months, and I you know never seen this client a day in my life or anything. But it's you know, you have thousands of people that's following you and stuff like that. And it's like, hey, if you're available Tuesday, I'm ready to go. Like I'm already ready to go geared up. So things like that.
0: So your uh your website bio mentions that you employ multicultural wealth strategies. What do you mean Absolutely. by that? And, and how does that impact who you're hoping to meet? Uh, in my notes from our conversation, you know, you said entrepreneurs, business owners, some doctors, people starting their own business. So how does the multicultural fit into that? Just give us a, a feel for who you're trying Absolutely. to attract and, and how
1: you're doing that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for that question. So that yeah. is a very, very important thing to me because um, the multicultural society throughout the United States, whether you're Black, Latino, Asian, um, just not part of the foundational um ness of uh, America, uh, <laughs> right. come here trying to make money and in- And just try to survive Like it's a survival sense And not really being able To take advantage Of the capitalistic markets Of America If anything they think That is out to get them You know it's just Kind of a fear And some of the fear Is put there by you know Good reason and things like that We have plenty of stories Such as like Tesla Oklahoma Back when you had What's called Black Wall Street And things where you know Things were done the right way You know most of that town Was built off of life insurance After someone passed away A couple thousand went And allowed you to open up the bakery that bakery uh-huh. fed and you know bought from the farmers and fed you know the people who worked there and stuff so allow people to work and buy and things that, that just circulation of commerce and it being taken illegal illegally and by force and because right. of that it reared generations of people who were afraid to trust banks, afraid to entrust investments, afraid to trust in general so you start burying money and not to mention from other different cultural aspects they have similar destructive stories coming from where they were raised and how money was accessible at the mercy of some powerful entity that maybe let them have it, maybe just took it by force, but the legality of just making money and feeling comfortable with it does Mm -hmm. not exist that drastically throughout a lot of our multicultures. So my job, because so many things have changed, Accept the mentality between the ears that we need to take the knowledge and the trust that we that advisors such as myself, who's gone through all this studying and like is kind of a gatekeeper of the financial markets for a lot of these cultural markets, um, explaining to them that it's okay to do this. Like, there is so many regulations and backings that you should trust this. Here is proof. Like it's kind of an overabundance of like proof and reassurance. And I tell my clients, I'm like, when we start something, if you need to ask me the same question every single week. You can ask me the same question every week, just until you fully understand, because you'll get started like, okay, all right, I'm feeling weird because I never invested this much or this often. So are we good? Yes, we're good. Talk to you next week. <laughs> like, that's completely yeah. fine because they need that.
0: Well, you know, everybody brings their own stuff uh, around money. We all have a relationship with money. I'm currently reading the psychology mm-hmm. of money, but mm-hmm. I, I never... Uh, and I and I certainly understand in the African-American community and other communities how uh, some distrust has arisen. But I didn't realize as much as what you just explained to me. So that, that's a great education for me and for others to understand where this some of this distrust came from and therefore, unfortunately, has prevented. There's other things at play, I understand. But to some degree that has prevented this transfer of wealth and the building of wealth within the community, has it not?
1: It really has. I mean, imagine if grandma, if grandma, instead of putting money in a tin can and had, hey, I got $5,000 in a tin can that's buried right behind that bush, you know, my favorite bush. You could go get that as soon as I pass away. Instead of doing that, what if grandma put that $10,000 in a life insurance policy had $100,000? What if grandma took that $10,000 and bought Disney in 1965 and things like that? <laughs> you know right. like that's the trust in the like the trust that they didn't have they trusted i could see it is right there as long as you can you got a shovel you can get it but if yeah. i invest in disney you might not see that again meanwhile that ten thousand in 1965 would be i mean we do the math i think it's somewhere around you know about 10 million or something like that so wow. yeah so yeah hold of-
0: that What a great, what a great service you bring uh, to your community.
1: And and apparently, you know, not just African-American, but of all cultures. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, So it's been a, it's been a big learning experience, learning. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not trauma is not. Um, what's the best way to put it? Trauma is not unique to just one culture and right. the trauma comes in different ways and shown in different ways and things like that. So that's probably been one of the most enjoyable pieces is learning and understanding, you know, the traumatic experiences that led to the way you relate to money right now. And just using, you know, you know years of education and the ability to learn pretty quickly and stuff. It's like, okay, now I can see better ways to approach target markets such as that in a way that is receptive and the things they may need.
0: You know, I learned that we form our, uh, our relationship with money, our beliefs around money quite often very early as we're very young, usually yeah. from our parents or other people around us. I know that yeah. I got my anxiety around money from my parents who grew up in yeah. depression, uh, oh, yeah. you know, middle, middle class, not wealthy, not poor, just yeah. kind of in the middle, but mm-hmm. very conservative in terms of what yeah. they did with money. Now, yeah. I don't need to be anxious around money. But mm-hmm. yet I am because I picked up that belief way back when right. I just got to, every right. time it plays, I gotta like turn the volume down on it, right? Right, uh, right, right. But well, that's very so, good
1: self-awareness that you you it, you you made that connection. So you can mitigate that, and be like, okay, deep breath.
0: <laughs> yeah, it took a while though. <laughs> and that's probably why I got a little late start. Uh, it, it, yeah. Emmanuel, in just about a minute or two, I, I want to cover two more topics. Uh first. Sure. Uh, I want to talk a little more about referrals from your clients. You get yep. them, you get them mostly unsolicited. We probably touched on that a little, mm-hmm. uh, but it's always a topic worth discussing in my world. Absolutely. And then and, and you're doing something unusual with social media that seems to be working for you. And I want to learn more about that. But okay. first let's take a brief pause to listen to a word from our sponsor, Pod Rocket Influence Academy brought to you by Proudmouth. First, they make this podcast possible, and their core business is helping financial advisors like you accelerate their influence through marketing activities like podcasting. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proudmouth. If you're like our clients, you want to spend more time educating people and less time selling. That's why we turn Main Street experts like you into trusted mainstream authorities. We help you amplify your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit Proudmouth.com
1: to learn more. Be your own loud.
0: I'd be remiss if I didn't at least mention our newest, even better than before, Academy for Relationship Marketing. If you want to learn almost all of the strategies and methods that I've taught to thousands of financial professionals, our Academy is the place to go. Do yourself a favor and visit thekatesacademy.com. That's thekatesacademy.com. You can go through everything on your own, or you can add some one-on-one coaching with me. Up to you. Now back with my conversation with featured guest, Emmanuel Jones, the second, (laughs) just having a little fun, Emmanuel. Um, So let's, let's talk referrals. Uh, You told me that you receive a lot of unsolicited referrals from your clients. Um, Has it just, has it been this experience that you created? Is there anything, anything else that, that you do that, that uh, our listeners should know that will create these unsolicited referrals?
1: first thing I want to start out saying when it comes down to me and referrals, um, there's honestly a lot for me to learn, a lot for me to learn, (laughs) a lot for me to gain and a lot for me to do. And it's going to get to that point where it starts needing to happen because I'm going to have a set amount of clientele that I work with that I'm going to want more of. So Mm -hmm. not the expert in that. I'd never claim to be the expert. I won't even claim to be probably top five when it comes down to that. I'm great at other things, but that's definitely need to work on. But yes, I do receive a good bit of unsolicited referrals um, because I do think it's the experience. Um, I want my experience to be unique in the sense that I just want to be upper class. I don't care what class you feel like you're in. I want the experience that you have with me to be upper class. And I want to answer your questions. And i always give information. I give it freely. I give it often. I like talking about this. I like seeing the light kind of come on in your head when you're seeing, okay, yeah, I can do something like that. Because sometimes I get advice and I'm like, honestly, go talk to your financial advisor or whoever you work with and tell them to do this down the third, tell them to go look at this or tell them to go look at that. Like, I feel like my referrals don't even have to come directly from that person. I mean, I just believe in the power of, I mean, I'm religious, I believe in God and like you give, it comes back like tenfold on from the other angle over there. So I give, I give, I give, I give. I'll talk freely in front of conferences. I'll talk freely to a group of realtors who want to hear. And that creates momentum and referrals. I'm passionate about what I do. It comes off when I talk to people, I'm very knowledgeable about the way I do. When I approach this business, I went and got every one of my exams in order to be licensed more than an investment banker, just so I know that they know that I know what I'm talking about Mm -hmm. um, based off that. And I'm still in education. I'm currently going after my CFP right now and taking classes every american college for that so it doesn't stop i want to be the most knowledgeable to give that knowledge free and that creates a lot of unsolicited referrals just by that natural openness that i guess i provide yeah
0: you said that you told me you you give blessings that come back to you so i guess one of the blessings is just the teaching and and informing Mm -hmm. and educating people um you you also told me that you sit on calls with other advisors sometimes uh Mm -hmm. I can imagine that they probably call on you to, to see what is Emmanuel doing that's working so well so early in his career. Sometimes. But you you feel uh, a push or a pressure these other advisors uh, create on phone calls and meetings with their prospects or clients. And they probably don't even realizing they're projecting a little bit of this push or pressure. Uh, yes. Talk yes. about that a little bit. What How does that show up or how have you been able to not do that?
1: I won't say that I'm completely immune to it, but I'm very I'm very cognizant of it, so I can catch myself when I seem like okay, because it could be after I don't know this month is you know going pretty rough, and you know like I really have this goal in mind, and like I got this call coming up, I need this call to go well, just because I need to get I need some momentum and things like that, and those things you put in your head like it comes off when you're talking to somebody in just the smallest subtle ways. I mean, I read the art of body language in a lot of different books, and I'm um, also used to watch. A movie, a show called Lie to Me, where you know it was the consulting firm that specialized in being able to tell someone's lying just by watching the camera footage of them. <laughs> um, but I feel like in sales and being in a sales environment all my life, like I paid attention, got very accustomed to that. So when I'm talking and I see myself, especially on Zoom, when you can see yourself, like it's like, okay calm down. They're not ready. And you can probably convince them, but then it's going to be bad when it comes down, you know, to them following up or completing the requirements or when you need to get in touch, it's like, they're not ready. You don't need to push it. Wait until they're ready. And then I just fill in my pipeline. I keep my pipeline full. So that brings a lot of the pressure down. I want my clients to feel very comfortable about the next financial decision they're going to make and the financial plans we put together. I don't want them to feel like I'm shoving something in front of them to the point where they're like, man, uh, we'd signed up for this, but what did we just do? Like, what just happened like did he right. even take us to dinner first which I probably did take you to dinner first so <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's yeah. just like what just happened to us and things like that so I never want that feeling so I try to take my time or just sit here and be like listen like ask me questions. We don't have to do it today. My first, my, I rarely, rarely want to do any business on a first call. Even if you're ready, I'm like, I'm going to send you the information, sleep on it. We can talk tomorrow at the earliest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but sleep on it, please. Cause I don't want you making rash decisions and things like that. I don't want to feel like I sold you too well, you know? Right. So, that's uh, a lot how I alleviate that. And I feel like other advisors, especially when they're starting out, they feel that pressure, man, I need to close something. I need to pay my bills. I, I got this. This person said they want to do it. If they don't do it, I hate them. <laughs> like, it's literally <laughs> like that type of like pressure. Right. Like, okay, well, the, like The
0: pressure you know. may be self-imposed or from their manager, right? Uh, you got to mm-hmm. make certain mm-hmm. numbers this week, this month.
1: Exactly. Uh, exactly.
0: Last thing I want to talk, I, I want to shift a little bit to social media because you're yeah. doing something i've not seen very uh many folks in this industry uh mm-hmm. i i i've interviewed folks who have a big following on linkedin and some of those episodes will be coming before this one actually airs but you actually have over 10,000 followers on instagram um and uh so first of all what are you doing with your instagram channel what what are you posting uh the question that everyone is listening is what about compliance what are they saying about this and are you actually achieving any kind of a tangible roi from this or is it just fun
1: everything is kind of a good time so yes it is it is very much so (laughs) fun um, right. So I'll answer the questions in reverse. So it is fun. When it comes down to compliance, there are very strict rules about giving any financial advice on platforms that are not monitored. Instagram is not monitored, so we have we use hearsay to do our monitored branded posts that are all compliance SMRU. When it comes down to my Instagram, it is just personal things or just easy things that are just public knowledge. Um, I'm just I'm saying what a Roth IRA is. People just like just simple knowledge, and that is not against compliance went through my compliance officer. I actually got slapped on the hand before when I was early on trying to post, you know, hey, you should do this or this sounded like almost sounded like financial advice. So I don't give any financial advice. If you want to reach out to me, you certainly can. If I get reached out to on Instagram, I move them straight to my email, send them to my compliance approved website where they can schedule a consultation or a Zoom call. And all those links are sitting right there. As far as I know, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't put any branded posts other than just my personal brand and who I am. So that's pretty much how I've been achieving that. And it's, it's been monitored um, closely by members of you know my upper upper you know companies that I work with and partner with and things like that to make sure I'm on the up and up. And I strive to do everything on the up and up. So um, the engagement has been phenomenal. Um, People love seeing things that they want to see um, pertaining to that topic. And I would say that it also counteracts a lot of uh, bad actors on Instagram. Instagram and other social medias have been a playground for people basically who can Google, you know, financial literacy and just start spouting out knowledge as if they're experts, haven't taken serious nothing. Seriously, haven't taken even a basic life insurance exam. So they're just saying things and reiterating false information, saying people should be doing this or should be investing in that. And honestly, I am not I am very happy that the SEC is slowly but surely cracking down on these folks and getting them to cease and desist because some of it's just really bad information. Like, Like, everybody should be in the index fund. You got somebody who saw that on Instagram, told their 65-year-old grandmother that when she retired, she need to put everything in the index fund. And lo and behold, 2002 happened. And like, it's like, what happened? Or you should be in cryptocurrency, super heavy. And this is the next, like, it's just like, none of this is substantiated. None of it. When um, When that whole craze was going on, I had to calm people down. Like, you need to diversify. Like, this is not even insured money. Like, you don't know what you're doing. And you're listening to... Certain podcasts, which I love the conversation, I love bringing it light, but I wish they was put more emphasis. Like, if you want to learn more, don't pay me two hundred bucks and come to my course of boot camp. That's illegal. <laughs> like, you, you can't do that. <laughs> and right. you're gonna get found and you're gonna be sued. So you can't do that. Um, you can send them to a financial advisor, you can partner with financial advisory firms and just say, We're not experts, but they are like, and then boom, go over there. But don't, don't, don't be on this getting some people to subscribe and you're gonna be in a boot camp for three weeks and get a one-on-one call with me. It's like you're not you're not qualified for that. Like you don't want somebody who's been on WebMD saying, hey if you're sick and this is what's going on then this is what you need to do and guess what pay me to tell you more about what's what you're sick with like no no so so i use it compliance um there but the roi has been great um i get a lot of good engagement i have a lot of people who are following silent followers like i get a follow i won't see them like anything but all of lo and behold i see someone coming to my website Setting a, setting a um, appointment or something like that. And it's like, okay, hey, I saw that you followed me three weeks ago and now we're setting an appointment. We didn't have to, you didn't have to like anything. It did its purpose. We're good. So let's get to the business. So yeah, great. I like great. it. And it's also a, re- a resume for the millennials. Um, you can say who you are on a podcast. You can say who you are on LinkedIn, uh, but people want to see your Instagram. It's like, okay, all right, now show me who you actually are. Because you can only fake so much. And if they start feeling like it's fake on Instagram, they'll be able to tell. And it's uh-huh. like, okay, you're not a person. We're going to go on somewhere else. Yeah. So, yeah, That's
0: good. So it's anyone wanting to attract uh, the millennials, uh, slightly younger demographic than what a lot I would of guys so. go after.
1: I, I would say it's like 45 people. 45 down, or if you have some savvy 45 plus year olds, um, it's just a face card. Um, it's kind of the the handshake meeting in person, uh, replacement because a lot of people are good with very virtual. I have clients in 25 states, so a lot of them I'm not going to meet anytime soon and have never met. So, but the Instagram serves as hey, if you want to see who I am, really who I am? On a day to day basis, boom, there you go. Tell you, I love it. For anyone who wants to see
0: what you're doing on Instagram, what what is your handle? How do they find you?
1: Sure, it's at Mister Jones Finance. At Mister Jones Finance, all spelled out. Oh, I like that, Mister Jones. Reminds me of that song, Mister Jones. Mister, you're
0: probably (laughs) you're too young to know that one. Your dad knows it. My featured guest on today's show has been Emmanuel Jones II, Mr. Jones. I love it. Emmanuel. thank you for so much that you give back to others, to the industry that you're doing today, that just educating the world and proper financial decisions. Uh, thanks for being a featured guest on Top Advisor Podcast. To you, the listener of this podcast, may I ask you a small favor? If you like this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a five-star review on the platform you're listening to now. Not all platforms have a place for reviews, but if yours does, I'd be grateful. Thank you. If you haven't already, there are two places you want to visit. First, referralcoach.com forward slash resources, bunch of guides, checklists, scripts, videos, referralcoach.com forward slash resources, and check out thekatesacademy.com, thekatesacademy.com for the most comprehensive referral and introductions training on the planet. This is Bill Cates reminding you that ideas do not make you more successful. Only acting on those ideas will bring you the success you desire. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you for listening to the Top Advisor Podcast, brought to you by Proud Mouse Pod Rocket Academy. I encourage you to visit my website, referralcoach.com, for links to my books, online courses, and to register for the Cates Academy.